Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Our scripture for the day is John 20, 24 through 29. One of the 12 disciples... Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And, and he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas explained. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Todd. That was good. Good. So it's a carburetor. That's what's on our graphic. Had no idea, honestly. Couldn't tell you what that was. I actually thought it was a kitchen faucet. Uh, yep. So, but that might fit exactly where we're going, uh, which is this new series on faith and deconstruction. And I wanted to take a moment to break down deconstruction, uh, which that phrase will really be clever on your ride home. Uh, but right now, it won't be. We're going to break down deconstruction, which is a philosophical term for breaking down something. Uh, That is our belief systems, food, whatever it is, our Lego creations, deconstruct, to break apart. And in this scenario, we're talking about deconstructing or taking apart piece by piece our faith, our beliefs, our values, our truth. And as we break it down, you begin to analyze, okay, is this worthwhile or does this need to be discarded? And in that deconstruction process, people are breaking apart their faith, looking at what's valuable, leaving other things out, and, and we're kind of left in this deconstructed state. And often that deconstruction starts with this catalytic moment, a tragedy in life, a, a life change in life, a difficult season, a pandemic, a philosophy class in your freshman year of community college, right? A, a major life change. Uh, what I, I think I read the stat was 60% of young people that grew up in church are going to leave the church once they graduate. Why? Because they've gone through a life change and they're deconstructing, right? Deconstruction is not new. It is just very topical right now and it is something that a lot of people are using as kind of a buzzword, but it's it's a process that's been around for a long time. It's a philosophical term that is not new to our, uh, new to humanity. It's just something that is kind of trending. And it is something that I thought it would be important to talk about and to illustrate this idea of deconstruction. Uh, it, it could be like disassembling something in your house or, or a home project. You see deconstruction a lot in home projects, right? You are going through your house and you see something that, I don't necessarily like the aesthetics of that anymore, right? There, uh, I don't like the way that door looks or that, that trim just, oh, it's ugly trim. Or, or, or the, uh, we had in our house, the, the drywall was like bulging off of the two by fours. Well, that's kind of a problem, 
right? That's not good. Uh, you, you find something, you look at, the functionality doesn't seem to work in the same way or the aesthetics isn't the same, and so what do you do? You take it apart. You do the fun part. You demo. You, you rip apart the drywall. You, you pull apart the wallpaper. You tear it apart piece by piece. That's the deconstruction part of a home project. The problem when you deconstruct is that usually it's not just one isolated problem. There's usually more problems, right? That bulging drywall also showed that, oh, there's moisture and air and all kinds of stuff coming through our fireplace. Oh, that's awesome. Not through the part that it should be coming through, like through another hole that nature decided to create through our fireplace. Uh, or we did a deconstruction project in our laundry room and found a whole bunch of fun electrical from the early 1900s. That was fun. Uh, you, you find these problems, right? You ever start a project and you're like, oh, a leak. Oh, flooring problems. Oh, I thought this was going to be a snap. And then you deconstruct and you're like, this is a mess. And I think that this series is going to be very valuable to a lot of us because either we ourselves are going through a deconstruction journey of our faith or you know someone who is. A friend, a spouse, a loved one, a child, a grandchild. And, and, and as a believer... It is important that we learn, while we may feel confident or secure, strong in our faith, there are people around us going through this process of peeling back the wallpaper of their faith, tearing up the floorboards of their faith. And I've learned uh, as I've studied this, this theme and this idea that this is a very emotional journey. Why would it be emotional? Let's think about that for a moment. Why would that be a very vulnerable process for somebody that they're going through that season of grappling with their faith. It's because they're ripping up things that they've held dear since they were little kids in Sunday school. Wait a second, do I really believe that? Do I really hold that to be true? You're rocking my world, you're, you're changing my perspective. It's, it's very much like going through a home project. When you are ripping apart your house on a project and maybe redoing the flooring or redoing some drywall, how many of you like to invite people over to hang out? Anybody feeling hospitable when they're in the middle of a home project? No. And then when you do have people over, what do you normally do? Excuse the mess, please. Don't look at that. This is not finished. It's usually a lot. And right, we try to cover it up with the, this great story. Usually it's drywalled here and it does this. And they're like, yeah, I get it. You have a project you're working on. But internally, there's this shame. There's this vulnerability. There's this, oh, don't look at this. And I think similarly that there are people that come to church and they're in this deconstruction journey and they feel similarly, I don't know how I fit into church because I've got questions. I don't know how I'm going to fit into this congregation because I've got doubts. I'm tearing these things up, processing through piece by piece. Is this for me? Is this true? Is this valuable? Should I build my life on this? And it's kind of like inviting somebody into your home in the middle of a project. You feel that shame. Shame is something that is characterized by this topic in terms of how people feel in the church. And yet we're propelled onto this deconstruction process of our faith, and we go into full demo mode, and we start dismantling our faith and taking it apart, and our theology, our worldviews, our truths, our belief in Scripture, our faith, all of these things, and we see doubts and contradictions and hurts, and these things are, are just stirring all within us, and we break these things down into all these little pieces and, and, and try to dismantle everything that we believe, and then we left it into this deconstructed state in pieces. 
again, like that home project that just never gets finished and you're constantly walking around in your house on plywood. Like, oh, when you come over to my house, you have to wear slippers, hard surface slippers because there's nails. When you come over to my house, you're going to see some electrical, so don't let your small children go by there. And some of us have deconstructed or we're in the process of deconstructing. And what happens a lot in this trend is that people are breaking their, thing, their theology down and just leaving it in this dismantled state. They don't rebuild. They don't reassemble. They don't take those valuable pieces and begin to reconstruct what God wants to do. And, and so the question that we're going to wrestle with this series is how do we rebuild? How do we reassemble that faith? Or how do we help somebody else reassemble their faith? Not that they're our project, but that we are walking in this journey with people. So how can I be a person of patience and kindness and grace and, and gentleness? How can I be a person of love and kindness in, in their journey? In their journey? And, and this teaching series is going to help us to, as a church, understand it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to not always have answers. It's okay to wrestle with our beliefs and our truth and, and our faith and what we believe and our doctrines and what is Foursquare and what is church all about and blah, blah, blah. It's okay to wrestle with that. This can be a safe place. If we can't do that in church, something's wrong. But we also have to strive towards reassembling. Not around personality, not around trends, not around pop culture, but we want to reassemble around who? Jesus. How do we reassemble a faith that is real? That's the whole point. That's my heart behind this series. And so today we're going to talk about a disciple that struggled with doubt. And doubt is one of the... the the things that we can struggle with in the deconstruction process is we begin doubting what we believe. And we see a disciple struggle with doubt. And, and Todd read this. And in verse 24 and 25, we see Thomas. And it says this. I'll read it again. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. This is after the resurrection. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and I put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. So here we have this guy, Thomas. This, this isn't the first time Thomas shows up on the scene. Thomas has been with Jesus for three years. He's seen the miracles. He was there when Jesus walked on water and fed the multitudes and healed the sick and raised the dead. Thomas was there. Thomas heard the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. Thomas saw and heard Jesus. And after, the resur or after his execution, his faith is shattered. It's rattled to a point where it's shattered into pieces, and he's hearing these stories of eyewitnesses, other friends of his. Imagine, right, sitting there with Simon, and you're like, shut up, man, I know that you've seen him. I want to see him. Stop telling me what you've seen, right? And he's wrestling with the validity of the resurrection. He's doubting. How many of us can relate to Thomas at some point in our lives? I doubt that that's really happened. What do we doubt when it comes to our faith? Think of the questions that we might ponder. Right? You don't necessarily have to shout them out, but I want you to think about that. Right? We wrestle with, with questions of doubt. Is God real? That's a big one. That's a common one. Is God real? How do I know that God loves me? You ever doubt that question? Or doubt that, doubt, doubt that truth? 
Did God really say that? Does all of this matter? What's the point of going to church? What is the point of all this religious stuff and this activity that we do of church and prayer and Bible and giving and serving and laying our life down? Did Jesus really say that? And what's the point of all that? You ever wrestle with those questions? What's the point? What are we, what are we spinning our wheels here for? What am I doing with my life? Does my life even matter? Is heaven real? Is hell real? What happens after I die? I mean, these are big questions, but these are questions that everybody's going to think about. Everybody's going to wrestle with it their own way, at their own time, in their, in their own context. And like Thomas, I think it's okay to say, you know, hey, I, wanna, I want an answer to my questions. And these are the things that Thomas is sitting there and he's saying, I, I don't know if I believe that Jesus came back. I want to see it. He voices those concerns. If you're struggling with doubt this morning, uh, or you know someone who is, I think it's okay to speak that out. It's okay to share that. You don't have to shout it right now, okay? This is, a, this is not the moment that we're going to do that, but it's okay to voice those doubts. Hey, I'm struggling to believe that God loves me. I'm struggling to believe that, that God's real. That Jesus came back from the dead. I, I'm struggling to believe that heaven and hell is real. I'm struggling to believe that my life even matters. It's okay to voice that to your spouse or to your life group, right? We talked about life groups earlier. What a safe place to share those doubts. Thomas shows us safety in sharing our concerns, sharing our struggles, sharing our questions. How many of us feel safe to pray about those with Jesus? Sometimes we feel such an insecurity, we feel it's wrong to even tell Jesus that. Jesus, I'm struggling to believe that you are real. Or journaling. Journaling can be a great way to get your thoughts out, articulating what you're feeling, not keeping it bottled up. It is so healthy to get that out of you. And, and, but let me caution you as your pastor. Facebook is not the safe space to share all of that. Now, it feels good. Why? Because you feel heard and you feel seen and sometimes you get likes, you get comments, Right? It feels good in the moment, but that feeling of being seen and heard can happen in a life group or it can happen with a friend or a spouse or a pastor or someone else in a way where it is safe to journey with that. Thomas isn't going out into the street saying, I want to see Jesus. I doubt it. I've been with him for three years and he's not showing. No, he's not putting it out on blast and setting up billboards and doing that, right? They're like archaic version of Facebook, just going and shouting. Does anyone like this? Thumbs up, Thomas. Thumbs down. Thomas, let me send you this other article I read, right? And you have somebody else up on a soapbox yelling at Thomas. Like old school Facebook. Social media is not the safe space to post those things because People just want to argue and debate and prove themselves to be right. They don't want to walk with you in rebuilding your faith. But there is something healthy about sharing the struggle that you doubt with. Doubting disciples aren't disqualified. Look at this in verse 26 through 28. Thomas is not uh, marginalized. Verse 26 through 28. The doors were locked, but suddenly... 
As before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas. Notice, Thomas is not on the other side of the locked door. Thomas is with them. He's, he's included. He's not disqualified. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. Think about Thomas. He is not a disqualified disciple simply because he doubts. And yet, what has church culture done? We've disqualified him. What is the nickname that Thomas always has? It's not the twin. Nobody ever refers to Thomas as the twin in modern-day church. But what do we refer to him as? Doubting Thomas. You all get an A today in fill in the blanks. Good job. Doubting Thomas is his church traditional nickname. What a terrible nickname for a man that's just going through life struggling with something. And yet, what have we done? This, I think, speaks to what the church can do. We can create this just overarching environment where it is unsafe to ask questions. Doubting Thomas. Doubting Sean. Doubting fill in the blank. Doubting you, right? You feel shame, you feel ostracized, you feel marginalized, such a negative connotation, and, and, and that connotation just speaks to this idea of like, how dare you ask questions? How dare you not just believe this? Believe harder. Let's pray harder. Let's throw more anointing oil at them and get them to get it figured out, right? And, and questions or examination and doubting, such it carries these ideas of being divisive or rebellious or weak. But look at how Jesus interacts with Thomas. Does he look down on Thomas? Does he condemn Thomas? Does he shame Thomas? No, I don't think he does. I don't think he's shaming Thomas at all. Does he correct Thomas? Yes, right? When he says, hey, don't be faithless anymore, but believe, I think that it's not a condemnation. It is a correction, a loving correction to, to a friend. But it's an invitation. We always think that the church and Jesus are going to condemn us, but he's actually inviting him into something. What is he inviting him into? See, touch, feel experience, believe, reassemble your faith, my man. It's been shattered into pieces. Let's put it back together. He's inviting him into something. He's not condemning him and saying, how dare you get on the other side of the locked door, you loser. He's saying, I'm right here. I'm meeting you right where you're at. Maybe doubts aren't the disqualification that we often think it is. Pastor and Theologian Oswald Chambers said this about doubt. He said, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It, is, it may be a sign that he is just thinking. Doubt gets this connotation of, you're not good enough to be here. A.J. Swoboda is an author and pastor, and he said, it, he said, to put it more simply, kicking the tires doesn't mean you hate the car. I just love that visual. You're just testing it out. You're, you're, you're examining. You're questioning. You're looking at it. You're saying, is this the right car for me? Well, people are questioning and kicking the tires on their faith, and that's not a bad thing. Doubt is not a disqualification. In fact, times of wrestling with our doubts, I think, will lead us to a greater flourishing in our faith because we're invited into a depth. 
We're invited into an opportunity to experience a depth in our faith and look at the experience of depth that Thomas experiences, both the presence of Jesus and the people of Jesus, those two things that we see a greater depth, right? The presence of Jesus. That like Thomas, our faith doesn't disqualify us from being with Jesus. Jesus doesn't push him out of the room. Instead, he says what? Hey, I'm right here. Look at me. Touch me. See me. Jesus will meet us right where we're at. Your doubts don't disqualify you from the presence of God. And sometimes we come into church with that feeling of like, well, I'm really wrestling with if God's real, so I guess church is for the holy people, and I'm just going to sit here. The presence of God will meet you right where you're at. The presence of Jesus will meet you in your questions. And sometimes he will give you tangible physical evidence and say, see, touch, feel, right? Other times it's going to be through the stories and testimonies of other people. Other times it's going to be through reading scripture. Other times it's going to be through a nature walk. It's going to be through a time of worship. It's going to be through varying moments. But Jesus' presence is accessible to all of us. And I love that Jesus meets him in his struggle. Thomas doesn't have to fake it. Sometimes we feel like we got to fake it till we make it. Oh, I got to believe. I'm just going to pretend to believe. Now he meets him in a strike. He's like, I, I, I hear you, Simon. I hear you, Mary. But I'm struggling with this one. And Jesus meets him right in the struggle. He doesn't fake it. He's persistent. And there's another side of this, right? Thomas is persistent. He doesn't give up on God. Notice, where is Thomas? He's with them. He's present. He's still seeking Jesus. He hasn't given up and like, oh, forget about this, man. I'm out. Let's go to the Elks Club. I'm out. Let's go to the ball game. I'm out. Let's go to this. No, he is persistent. Thomas is persistent in this. And there is something in that. He's not faking it, but he is persistent in his pursuit of Jesus. And he's not willing to just give up on it simply because he's questioning something. It inspires me to keep saying yes to Jesus, even when it doesn't feel the same as it used to. And I say that with, with this connotation of so much of our faith is built on our feelings. That worship song didn't feel like it used to to me. The sermons aren't as feeling-driven. I don't know if I can see it or believe it or feel it. Thomas is persistent. And I remember two distinct moments in my own journey, my own life, where I, I wrestled with doubt. And I'm sure there were many more, but as I was thinking about this this week, there were two moments that I thought of where that doubt kind of comes at you like this wave in the ocean that you weren't ready, right? You ever been at the ocean, and you're looking at the beach back, and you're like waving at somebody, and then it hits you and knocks you over, and your feet are upside down, and they're just laughing at you on the beach, right? And you just get overwhelmed, and you're like, where is water? Where is air? Where is everything, right? And you just kind of get tussled in that, and doubt can sometimes hit us like that. I thought I was good. <laughs> what do I believe? And I remember in high school, and I don't know what triggered it in this moment or this season uh, of my high school years. And I wouldn't say years, this moment in my high school age. But I questioned what I believed. I questioned that God could hear me, that God was real. I just had those... I went from a firm footing in my faith of saying, like, Jesus is the man, to, I don't, I don't know about this. And I can't remember what triggered it, 
but I can remember that feeling. I can remember that insecurity. I can remember that unstable uh, state that I was in. And in that season, um, when I would read the Bible, it just didn't, didn't resonate. When I would go to a youth group, it didn't, didn't click in the same way. And the thing that actually gave me firm footing was a song that I grew up singing in Sunday school. And I, I'm not a singer, so I wouldn't sing it loud. And I was very insecure at the time, and so I would just whisper it to myself when that feeling, that wave would hit me. And it was just that simple, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little one, I'm not going to sing it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to spoken word this thing. <laughs> Come on. Nope. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones, to him be strong. When they are weak, he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And that was the, like, I remember the moment, like, this is cheesy. But that was the song that I held on to as a high schooler. And, like, sitting in math class, like, whispering it to yourself. Walking to school, whispering it to yourself. Because that was the thing, like, I knew I could believe that. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And that was the thing I had to hang on to. That was the thing that I was persistent in. Another moment more recently was during the pandemic, during 21. I remember having that wave hit me, just like I'm sure it hit a lot of people in their faith, wondering, what are we doing? We can't do this and we can't do that. And 21, I felt for me, was harder than 2020. Um, and I remember a moment in 20. 21, being in my living room late at night, family's asleep, and I just started praying. I put in my earbuds to start worshiping, because that's how I do. And I remember at one point just being curled up in the fetal position in my living room, just crying, like, God, I, I don't know what we're doing. I don't know why it's not working. I'm, I'm trying everything that I can. It's not making sense to me. What are we doing here? And listening to the worship songs and praying and reading my Bible. And it just, like, I tried to go back to those things, right? Like, oh, this will awaken something in me. And it just wasn't, quote, unquote, working. What's wrong? And all I could do was, like a small child, just get into that position and just, Argh! and I just felt like a little kid again. And I just curled up and I started crying and weeping before the Lord on my living room. Thankfully, the family stayed asleep because that would have been awkward. But I had this, this unshakable thought that I, I, I can't stop just because I'm not feeling encouraged in that moment. And I just stayed in that moment for as long as I could, persistently, until waiting for that moment where I've, I really recognized like Jesus met me where I was at, in my doubts in my struggles, in my insecurity. And I, I got up that evening knowing that Jesus loved me. Not for what I can do for the church, not for what ministry I can perform, but for who I am. 
Jesus loves me. And that's enough. And if I say that's enough, then it's got to be enough in how I lead or how I pastor or how I preach or how I live or how I parent or how I spouse. I don't know what the verb is for, you know, we have parenting, but I don't know, spousing? But that that is enough. But I didn't leave until Jesus showed up. Thomas didn't leave until Jesus showed up. There's something about the persistent pursuit of Jesus and knowing that he will meet me in my brokenness, in my struggle, in my confusion, in my questions, in my doubts. Jesus will meet me and he will meet you in that moment. The second part that I see is this depth of faith is, is he doesn't just experience the presence of Jesus, he experiences the people of Jesus. Because like Thomas, we can sometimes struggle with doubts, but we will disqualify ourselves from the community of people. We will isolate. And yet in verse 26, it says, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. This isn't eight hours later. This is eight days later. So imagine all of us except for you heard about Jesus and saw Jesus resurrected, and next Monday, we're going to meet together and tell you about it. You showing up? You showing up? For eight days, Thomas has been wrestling with this, and yet he shows up. He doesn't feel disqualified from the community of Jesus' people. He has the strength to hang out with other Christians who are telling him all these miraculous things, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I get it. I'm questioning the resurrection. You've seen him. I haven't. But he shows up, and he stays and I don't think John is just flippantly putting this in his gospel. I think what he's illustrating for us as, as we relate to Thomas is that in our doubts, we should be in the community of Jesus' people. We should not be isolating and alone. And often what the deconstruction process will do is that we will begin piece by piece dismantling our faith, but we'll do it in such a vacuum of our own thinking. We won't assemble with other people. We just try to solve these questions and these problems on our own, or we just Google it, or we just read books, and we just listen to podcasts, and there are valuable resources out there, but the things that we end up getting drawn to are things that are just aligning with our thoughts rather than maybe somebody that differs from our thoughts, and what we end up doing is just listening to our thoughts amplified through other podcasts and authors, and we end up in this vacuum of the same viewpoint, the same thought. And it just reinforces this idea of like, yeah, you don't need church. Yeah, you don't need people. Yeah, you don't need God. You don't need the Bible. You don't need this. You don't need that. And we just disassembled our faith, and we continue to reinforce that with our own thinking and the thinking of similarity. And then we're alone, and our faith is in pieces. But Thomas doesn't do that. Thomas doesn't go by himself and just say, woe is me. I want to see Jesus too. They can hang out as a holy huddle, I'm over here. What does Thomas do? He goes and he assembles with them. He hangs out with them. And our, our tendency is to do the opposite, but Thomas encourages us or, or models for us something different. The faith journey is not meant to be lived alone. It's not. Faith is a journey, not a destination. And so on this faith journey, we're meant to do that with people that it will inspire us to reassemble our faith. Who's inspiring you in your faith? Challenging you, asking good questions, pushing you in a, in a good way, but they're not pushing you 
to just obliterate your faith and leave it in shambles. They're pushing you to reassemble around Jesus. Those are two different things. I can listen to a podcast or philosopher or a a worldview or read a book, and it just challenges me to take a sledgehammer to the Bible and to my faith, but never challenges me to rebuild. Who's challenging me to rebuild and to reassemble? Thomas is around people that have had a different experience than him, but they want him to experience it too. They want him to see Jesus and to build his faith around Jesus. And our doubt doesn't disqualify us from being around the people of Jesus. The question that, as I was reading this text, I was thinking, and I believe Jesus answers it, is will I get every doubt resolved? Is every question going to be answered? I wish I was like Thomas and like Jesus would show up and answer every question that we ever had. Uh, But at the end of this passage, what does he say to Thomas? He says, blessed are those who would believe without seeing me. Meaning that there are going to be people who have to take a step of faith and aren't going to have the empirical evidence, aren't going to have all of the proof, aren't going to have every question answered, aren't going to have every doubt resolved in a nice clean cut little box, little cliche answers. Thomas is blessed because he gets to see Jesus in the flesh. But Jesus says, blessed are those who would take that step of faith and not need every question answered, not need every doubt resolved, not need to always see me in the flesh. And this is where it takes faith. And this is where we're heading next week with this idea of like, how do I build faith when I've got contradictions of science and theology and tradition and what my mom said and what culture says and all of these things. We're going to talk about that next week with the the struggle of our contradictions, but this week is just understanding that we will have doubts, and that's okay. It doesn't disqualify you from the presence of God and the people of God, and it is a part of our journey so that we can flourish in our faith. Reassembly around Jesus takes faith. Faith is what it takes to go through those dark valleys and those doubts and those seasons. Faith is what it takes to sit in math class whispering and muttering, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. There was, a, there was an element of faith to, to be persistent in that. Faith keeps us rebuilding instead of living in pieces. And so this morning, where are you at today? Are you Thomas? Are you needing to be encouraged to find community and Persist in your pursuit of Jesus and find relationship and ask questions and know that this can be a safe place? Are you just shrouded in shame and insecurity and, and, and can today be a reminder that it's okay to have those doubts, to bring those things to Jesus? Maybe you're not Thomas today. Maybe you're the other disciples sitting in the room and my question is how do we create a safe place for the Thomases of our church? and the Thomases of our community. I'm not going to call them Doubting Thomases. I'm just going to call them Thomases, Thomasai. But how do we as the other disciples in the room create a space that isn't associated with shame, condemnation, but rather a space where it's, it's okay to ask that question. It's okay to wrestle with that. It's okay that we continue to take steps towards reassembly of our faith and not living our lives in pieces. I don't know where you fit in this story and in this moment. Are you Thomas? Are you the other group? But we all play a part in this journey.
And we want to be a place and we want to be a people that, that help others build their faith around Jesus. That's going to last. That's going to last. Let's pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com slash connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.